0: I oh, used to get a better reception at uh, school doing school assemblies. Anyway, can, can I trust you with a secret this morning? No. OK, next step. Uh, Those on your line. Can, can I trust you with a secret? It's a little-known fact, but I descend from a long line of lovers. And if you thought... You're going to get now the confessions of Casanova. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you. When I say a long line of lovers, I mean a long line of food lovers. There's the number of people in our family who believe that a balanced diet, scales up on their fees, is a Big Mac in each hand. <laughs> no, if that's, if that's what you like, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a balanced diet, isn't it? And what we're thinking about this morning is another type of balanced diet. Because one of the values of Jubilee Church is Word and Spirit. And I have to admit that when Graham asked me to, to preach today, and I realised it was on uh, a Jubilee Family of Values, I was a little bit nervous, because I still classify myself as a newbie. And I'm just trying to figure out what the Jubilee family values are. But then when Graham told me what the subject was, word and spirit, I thought, yeah. That's something that's close to my heart. But God took me on a journey, as I sort of struggled with this, before I accepted Graham's offer. And I just want to take you on that journey because I think it much might help some of you here this morning about thinking about um, church values. You see, what is church? What is church? You know, if I ask people in the street, what is church? They might point to an old building with a steeple and say, that's church. Many of you here, if not all of you, will probably say, we are the church. We are the living blocks that make up the church. But what what does God say in the Bible? In Ephesians 1, 22, verse 23, it says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. So... If the church is the body of Christ, and if somebody came in from the world and joined one of our services, how would we portray the body of Christ? Just for example, think of some artistic impressions of Jesus. The first one up, please, James. You know, if you walked into a church and that's your impression of Jesus, what type of church do you think you just walked into? Probably a very traditional church. Probably a church where the the, the worship wants to worship Jesus at arm's length. It might be a church filled with those who think they're saintly and people feel it can't belong to them. And what about the next church? What if you portrayed that type of image? What sort of church is that? There's probably a church where, unfortunately, they made Jesus irrelevant. You know, it's too much of our big brother and not enough of Lord. And people get the wrong impression of what church is. The third slide, what if church is more like that? And some of you are probably tempting to think, that's about right. But is it? Where was Jesus born? What was his uh, ancestry line? He wasn't a Westerner. I bet that's blue eyes, but it should, should be. That is a church, if you like, that's made in the image of the people who worship there, not in the image of Jesus. So as we come to think about word and spirit, I believe that not only it is a value for Jubilee Church, but that is the DNA of a church. Because the Bible surely is Jesus' word. The Spirit... It's Jesus' spirit. Jesus is the body of the church. So when we come to think about word and spirit, we're thinking about the DNA of the church. And think about the word and the spirit, the Bible, and the presence of God, and proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of God through word and deed. I want to speak this morning on truth and power. I want to speak on how healing and miracles is often a result of telling people about Jesus. The rationale and the trans-rationale working together. Because our faith is not just an intellectual consent to a truth about God. It is a relationship, an experience of his power and glory. So what does it look like when God, God's kingdom comes close? When heaven breaks in? Well, just think about the word salvation in the Bible. In the Greek, the word salvation is sozo, S-O-Z-O. And it has many meanings. In definition, if you like, is to be saved, to be healed, to be made whole and well. As one scholar puts it, salvation then means more than simply being saved to go to heaven when you die. To be biblically saved means there are also earthly effects on our lives today. Not only are you free from the judgment of God, from oppression, but to receive healing in our physical bodies. And for that to happen, not just a natural explanation of Jesus but supernatural power to work in your life. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. You agree? If God is in the business of sozoing people, getting them saved, healed, made whole, then we should expect the Spirit of God and His Word will be at work to accomplish these things. And of course, that is what we hopefully we'll see. In Jesus and in the early church and in Paul's letters and through church history. But Paul says this in Romans 15 18 to 19 I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. In leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God, so from Jerusalem all the way around Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. The theologian Gordon Fee on this verse says, Paul begins by indicating the two means through which Christ has effectively been at work through him, by word and deed. Word surely refers to his proclamation of the gospel, but deed calls for some explanation, so he immediately adds, by the power of signs and wonders. The expectation for Paul was that all the good news of the gospel went out through the world. It would be preached and demonstrated with power. For Paul, a full proclamation of the gospel of Christ the good news of Jesus. It meant preaching and signs and wonders. And both of those were a demonstration of the power of God. But if this is what we want to go after in our lives, our ministry, our church gatherings, where do we see this or get encouraged into this? So I want to suggest four quick, good places. To get encouragement, if you like, in the early life of Jesus, sorry, in the life of Jesus, in the early church, in Paul's letters to the churches he planted, and finally in church history. So, firstly, the Word and Spirit in Jesus. So, come with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter nine, and verses thirty-five to thirty-six. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus, motivated by a deep compassion for the people that he encountered. And Jesus who sees the people as harassed and helpless, ministers to them in word and deed, with truth and power. He proclaims the good news of the kingdom of God and he heals every disease and sickness. He tells them the good news of God's grace and mercy and then he demonstrates this new reality with signs and wonders and power can you just imagine it can you just imagine being there that Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God and then everybody who is ill and sick is being healed isn't that amazing who wants to be part of a church like that I do do you Amazing. So this is Jesus. And in Luke 4, we're told about him that he was full of the Holy Spirit. And one of my favorite Jesus stories is just a few chapters on in Matthew 11. John the Baptist sends a messenger to ask Jesus, Are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? It's not exactly a big vote of confidence, is it? No. Are you it? It's basically what's being asked. Anyhow, Jesus replies, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. If you like the rationale and the trans-rationale, word and spirit, good news and signs and wonders, that's the proof that the Messiah has arrived. Of course, if we've got time this morning, I can give you dozens more examples in the Gospel. of. Let's move on to the book of Acts and the early church. Just think about Acts 3 and Acts 4 for a few minutes. Hopefully it's familiar to you. It's just after Pentecost, and Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, gets up and preaches in Acts 2. And it says 3,000 people are added to the church and get saved. And then we read in the next chapter that Peter heals a lame beggar. So it's always this combination, if you like, of preaching and healing, signs and wonders. And sometimes as you read the scripture, you find that they've got the signs and wonders. And then the preaching, the explanation of the kingdom of God, the explanation of who Jesus is. Now the story that Jesus was doing now continues happening through his spirit-filled believers. It's a demonstration of power that God leads to the explanation of what was happening in Jesus. Peter. It's getting everyone's attention for signs and wonders. And then he preaches the gospel. And we're seeing people saved. Thirdly, the life of the early churches planted by Paul in One Thessalonians one, verses four to seven. We read For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with... Well, some of you can read. But with power, with word and power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you, and for your sake, you became imitators of us. So Paul is preaching through the word and through the power of the Holy Spirit, and then the church in Thessalonica are imitating Paul by preaching the gospel and then seeking the Holy Spirit for signs and wonders. And then what does Paul go on to write? For you welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So they became a model for other churches to follow their example. So those churches then were taking on the ministry of the, to proclaiming the gospel with the word, the signs and wonders. Let's move on. What about the early church? If you go to the writings of the early church father, I can't pronounce his name, sorry. Anyway, one of the early church fathers the writing in the second century, he talks about the sick being healed. Origen, in the third century, wrote that the name of Jesus can take away diseases. But the one I was most interested in is St. Augustine of Hippo, fourth century theologian, and perhaps the greatest theologian of his time. He wrote a book that's called The City of God. And in that book, there's page after page after page of stories being miraculously healed, people's stories, set free by God. The one I really like. He talks about a doctor who was healed of gout when he was baptised. And then he says, an old comedian who was cured of powerless. And so the story continues and continues. I have got time to go through the whole of 2,000 years of church history. But let's bring it up back into the 20th century. Smith Wigglesworth, the fantastic preacher and, and used by God in the early 20th century. And I love this story that until he got married, he couldn't read. His wife taught him to read. And it's reportedly that the only book he read was the Bible. No other book. He only read the Bible. And he preached, and he believed in the power of God. He believed in signs and wonders. And there's a lovely story. He got called to a a miner's home because the miner had died. And his wife was worried because her husband had never heard the gospel and she called Smith Wigglesworth over, and he came over. And it's, the story is told that he lifts its lift miner up, and he holds him against the wall, and he prays to God that this man would not die, that he would come back to life because he hasn't heard the gospel yet. And the man came back to life. And Smith Wigglesworth had the opportunity to preach the word to him probably to his wife as well, and the rest of the family. But in 1947, Wigglesworth had a prophecy. And that prophecy says, during the next few decades, there will be two distinct moves of the Holy Spirit across the church in Great Britain. The first move will affect every church that is open to receive it, and will be characterized by the restoration of the baptism and gifts of the Holy Spirit. The second move of the Holy Spirit to result in people leaving historic churches and planting new churches. In the duration of each of these moves, the people who are involved will say, this is a great revival. But the Lord says, no, neither is this the great revival, but both the steps towards it. When the new church phase is on the wane, there will be evidence in the churches of something that has not been seen before, a coming together of those with an emphasis on the Word and those with an emphasis on the Spirit. And when the Word and the Spirit come together, there will be the biggest move of the Holy Spirit that the nations, and indeed the world, has ever seen. It will mark the beginning, a revival that will eclipse anything that has been witnessed within these shores, even the Wesleyan and Welsh revivals of the former years. The outpouring of the God Spirit will flow over from the United Kingdom to the mainland Europe and from there will begin a missionary move to the ends of the earth. Now I believe, and a lot of other people believe, that the first part of that prophecy has come true. The second part of the prophecy we're still waiting to see come to completion, that the church is... That if you like, base their, a lot of things on the Bible, but on the word, and those who sort of base a lot of their things on the spirit come together. But well, why can't we be a church that has that balance? I remember an old preacher once said that they you have know, got a church that as the, the, the Bible and, major, and the majors on the good news is in danger of drying up. We've got a church that just majors on the Holy Spirit is in the danger of blowing up. We need the balance of Word and Holy Spirit. Because as I say, it's that the DNA of the church. It's what Jesus shows us. So finally, no, sorry, one other guy I want to mention. There's a guy called John Wimber. He was a keyboard player for the Righteous Brothers. And some of you like 60s music, you probably know the Righteous Brothers. Anyway, John Wimber got saved and ended up starting the vineyard movement of churches. He, probably also, he also had a profound impact on the Alpha Course, new wine, modern worship music, and quite a lot of other things that uh, happened in the 60s, 70s and later. But his basic testimony, testimony is that he got saved. That he went to church, started reading his Bible, and then he began asking the church minister, "When do we get to start doing the stuff? When do we get to start to do the stuff?" And the response he got was, "We don't do that anymore." Well, that's not what he was reading in his Bible. It's not what he saw that what Jesus promised. So he began to do the stuff of the Bible. And lo and behold, amazing things began to occur. John Wimber famously said, when we prayed for no one, no one got healed. When we started praying for everyone, some got healed. So what would you prefer? So finally, how does this work? How does it might it occur right here today? that we might encounter not only the truth of Jesus, but the power of Jesus through His Holy Spirit? Let's just think about it individually. We need to get into His word. We need to get into His word. And sometimes that is not always easy, is it? We, we live in a really busy time. And trying to find time to, to read scripture is not easy. But perhaps what we need to do is ask God for us to fall in love with his word. Because isn't that what the psalmist says in 119, somewhere around about 20, verse 27, that he loves God's word. And perhaps if we went out in a room asking couples, yeah, how did you fall in love with your husband or your wife? we probably have different answers. For some of us would probably say, well, as soon as we saw one another across the dance floor, it was love at first sight. And for some of us, it's like that with God's word. As soon as he opened his word, like John Wimber did, it's love at first sight. And for some of us, maybe, oh, I knew, knew them for ages, and then suddenly I realized that it was more than just liking them. I loved them. It's the same with God, perhaps with God's Word, that we need to get into it and start reading it as a discipline. And then after a while, we'll probably find ourselves in love for God's word. What about a church? When we think about God's word, the preachers, I believe, should be accountable to the congregation. Whoa, oh, that's conscientious, isn't it? Think of Acts 17, verse 11. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. What Paul said was true. And I believe that it's good that as we hear messages preached from the front, is that you search the scriptures and see that what the preacher is saying is actually true? Because there's a temptation that we feel that God has given this great message and then we actually back it up with scripture, which is the wrong way around. We should go to scripture and say, Lord, what is it you want us to say to the church today? Has anybody got a Bible? Well, Jesus' words are in red. Yeah. How many verses are in red? 1,800. Well done, Paul. (laughs) There's 1,800 verses of Jesus' discourse in the New Testament. Out of those 1,800 verses, how many do you think that Jesus is quoting Old Testament Scripture? 180 verses. Jesus is quoting Old Testament scripture. That's 10% of Jesus' message is scripture. Preachers. When you go over here and preach, it's 10% of your sermon scriptures. Word. What about spirit? Let's move on quickly. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit. You know, it's quite easy, and it's been my experience in ministry, is that when you want to have that balance, is that after a while, the Bible sort of takes a greater balance than the Holy Spirit. And I think it's to do with something called control. Because unfortunately, Graham, cover of your ears for of a minute, a lot of church leaders like to be in control. And we have control over our thoughts and study of the Bible, the Word. I mean, I know when we come to preach the Word, we should be asking the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and hearts to what God's saying through the Word. But the temptation is so easy to do it from an almost academic point of view. And the, the influence of the Holy Spirit starts to go down. We need to counteract that balance. It's a control. Beginning about back in Genesis. You know, when Adam and Eve ate from the apple of, uh, the, apple of um, the tree of knowledge. I believe that was a control thing. They wanted to control what they knew. In Acts 7... Hold on, where are we? I've lost it. Acts 8, verses 18 to 19. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying of the apostles' hands, he offered them money... He said, "Give me also the abilities that everyone whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit." I have to admit, as a verse that I didn't quite understand for years. And as I was thinking about this um, sermon today, I just thought Simon was a control freak because what did they buy in those days? Slaves, and then they had the control over the slaves. And I think Simon wanted to buy, if you like, the Holy Spirit, to have control. What we need to do is let the Holy Spirit have control, not us. And that gets a bit scary. For some years, I used to help out with the the prayer counselling at Soul Survivor. And there, when they encourage people to come forward for prayer is to ask the person the name, ask them why they've come forward, and then just say a short prayer, affirming who they are, that you've listened to them, why they've come down, and then inviting the Holy Spirit to come and minister to them. And one of the reasons was that there is that one word from the Holy Spirit is worth a hundred of mine. And sometimes we can get so busy praying for somebody We've taken control and not allowing the Holy Spirit to come and minister to the person that's come forward. And in a few minutes, if we've got time, <laughs> I'm going to shut up. I'm going to invite people to come forward for prayer. Over this last week, from the prayer meeting on Wednesday, we've asked people to contact us with words of knowledge about what people might be feeling here this morning. So, I'll give you a chance to respond. You see, when we let go and ask the Holy Spirit to come, it's a matter of trust, so letting go of that control. If you like, this practice makes perfect. John Wimber, a quote, he said, When I prayed, no one, no one got healed. When I started praying, some got healed. We see we live in an age of scepticism and doubt and unbelief. But people are strangely open to prayer. So just start. Offer prayer and do it then and there. Not I'll pray later. My first church that I ministered in, Doncaster, I was there for probably about a week and a half and I was walking around the area. And as I was walking down this particular road, a gentleman from the, the church was walking towards me. And as I got nearer to him, he started saying, oh, Martin, oh, Martin, I'm ill. I'm oh, I'm very, very ill. Martin, I'm ill. I said, okay, I'll pray for you. What I meant was, I'll go home and pray for you. But there he was in the middle of the street, and he just goes, okay. <laughs> so that was a lesson learned for me. John Wimber. After a season of praying for the sick, and seeing nothing happening. In fact, he saw people leaving the church. People complaining. And after a session of praying for the sick and nothing happening, he felt God say, Do not preach your experience. Preach my word. And it's the same when we come to pray. Pray when we're asking the Holy Spirit to minister to people, it's not from your experience, but it's from God's Word, and trusting God's Word, trusting the Holy Spirit, that the the Holy Spirit will come and minister to that person. God's Word and God's Spirit, to trust His Word and let the Holy Spirit take control and do what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And it was great a couple of weeks ago to hear the honesty from Graham when he called the time of prayer and said, This is something that we've we've stopped doing. You see, it's so easy just to slide out of that. So we're going to ask people to come forward for prayer in a minute. I've got some words of knowledge I want to share whether that's speaking to you, then just come forward and We just ask the Holy Spirit just to to minister to you. So let's just pray. Say, Lord, thank you for your word and for your spirit. We thank you for Jesus that brings it all together. And Lord, I pray that you just help us to fall in love again with your word. That we just can't get enough of your word. The Lord also help us to let go of trying to be in control. And allow your Holy Spirit to take control of us. To allow your Holy Spirit to be the senior partner, if you like, that we can work together with you to bring you glory. I pray for our church, Lord, and for the leaders, that you constantly challenge them to get that balance right between the Word and the Spirit. And in doing so, we will see you glorified in the life of the church and in the life of the believers. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Sorry, I got some messages on the phone. Some of the things that people have felt that were saying to them through the prayer meeting was um, the word foolishness. That Perhaps someone here this morning, uh, because of their faith, they've been made f- to feel foolish from their family and their friends. I believe that God wants to speak to you this morning and just affirm you. If that's you, then come down in a minute and let us pray for you. And... Uh, somebody else had a a vision of of, of standing by the sea and looking out we've come to the edge of the land if you like and just felt are you called to walk on water rather than just stand there at the cliff edge just looking at the water some people might be feeling mouldy Moldy. God wants to make you fresh. If that's how you're feeling this morning, <laughs> you need to feel fresh and so come forward for prayer in a minute. I'm sorry, this one is an unwritten one on a photo. You feel that you've never, you've never been, and just enough. Sorry. You've never been the God of just enough. You're a God of abundance, a God of plenty, of overflowing, unending wine, loaves of bread. He's here to replenish. If you're feeling a bit empty this morning, then God is the God of plenty. And he wants to replenish you. We can also invite you to come down. If you've got an ailment, illness, anything like that, please come forward and we'll pray for you. So I do believe the band is going to lead us in a bit of worship. Miraculously appeared. So start to pray. Just make your way down here. And uh, somebody will magically appear and pray for you. Listening to this Jubilee Church podcast? Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk, or come along on any Sunday morning.